you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God yes it is it is awesome and it's, this weekend is, is really special in, in one way because one of my children uh, his life changed for the good for the good I must say for the good so at this time I'm going to ask my, one of my sons to come to the front you know who you are make your way to the front don't let the people wait and I'm going to share some secret about this guy. You want to bring up the f- pictures, please? Uh oh! So I just want you to congratulate Stefan. And uh, you know, one thing I, I loved about this young man, he grew up, I, I would say, this is my spiritual son, and he grew up. Uh, you know, with us in the, in the church, and he came to know the Lord, committed his life to the Lord, and waited on the Lord for the right time. And God, in his right time, made things beautiful, isn't it, Sam? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Those who wait upon the Lord shall never be put to shame, isn't it? Wonderful. Thank you. So I was really honored to be there last uh, yesterday, and I had to keep that as a secret, because that's what these young people do, isn't it? I'm not good at keeping secrets, but anyway, I did. Wonderful, good, awesome. Now let's go into the Word of God this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And we're going to look at just about four verses. It doesn't mean it's just four-minute sermon. It's going to be four hours. So turn to John chapter 14. Now, personally, growing up in a Christian home, if there's one person that I loved to spend time with was my father. I do not remember the gifts that he gave me for my birthdays and Christmas, but I do vividly remember the umpteen hours we sat together in the living room of our home, listening to his life story and counsel. However, my father was a very strict disciplinarian who exercised his authority with love. There is one phrase that I hated, but I often heard from my dad was this, son, first comply and then complain. So one day I took all my courage and I asked him, dad, what's the point of complaining once I have complied? So he looked at me with a grin on his face, he hugged me and he told me, Son, because I love you, and I know what's good for you. So when I left my home as a teenager for higher studies, my mother sat me down and gave me two counsel, which I remember to this date. And she told me, number one, son, you should never drink alcohol. Second thing she told me was that, son, every day you should read the Bible and you should pray. And these two commands I obeyed to the T, not out of conviction, 
but out of my love for my mother. As a teenager, of course, you know, as a young adult, we loved parties, and during my campus days, it was a practice that we went with our friends out to the pubs on Friday nights, and, but I never yielded myself to even to taste a drop of beer, not out of conviction, but because of my love for my mother. Then in my first posting as a young professional, I was working in a development project in the middle of the jungle and all bachelor professionals and we had a gala time in the nights, we play badminton and then we, we even go for hunting and, and we sing songs and we do this baila dance and till wee hours of the morning. And by the time we go to our quarters, the, the electricity was gone because the generator shut off and there was no power. But I light the candle, I lit the candle, and I read the word of God, and I prayed, not because of conviction, because of my love for my mother. It was only when I became a father, I realized how effective and powerful those instructions were. I did not know then, but my parents knew that it was the right thing to do. Church, I really, if you really love someone, you will keep their commandments, isn't it? Won't you do that? Yes, you do. You submit to that love, that tenderness, and that care. So obedience is an expression of our love. And this is the crux of today's message. Obedience is the evidence that we love Jesus Christ. So let us understand the context now. Imagine this, that you are part of the disciples. Jesus has just announced that he would be heading to the cross. And this has really traumatized and troubled the disciples. They were so confused and fearful. And they needed much encouragement because of what they're about to face in light of the loss of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the beginning of the chapter, we saw that the Lord was comforting them by telling them what's in store for them in the future. If you, if you recall, those of you who were here when I preached on this, Jesus was telling them that I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I do, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you so that you can be with me. Remember that? And Jesus comforted the disciples with the assurance of what is yet to come, the future dwelling with the Lord. Oh, I know the end of the story. Therefore, be happy. And as you read through the rest of the verses, and you heard different speakers preaching on this, in verses 7 to 11, the Lord was saying that, I am He, I am God. And verses 12 to 14, He said, Pray and ask in my name and you shall receive. He's encouraging the disciples in light of my absence, do not be dismayed, do not be troubled, but you pray. Ask in my name. And then in verses 15 to 20, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to be with you. So as you come to verses 21 to 24, as if the disciples are saying, yes, but. Have you heard this term? People say, yes, but. That means you don't really agree. That's what it means. 
I mean, as I read this, that's what I felt. Yes, but we don't know who the Holy Spirit is. I'm, honestly, you don't find this in the scriptures. I'm just, I allow these things to run in the theater of my mind. You can picture this. We have never seen the Holy Spirit, and we have never engaged in him anyway, and, and please don't leave us alone. So here in our text, Jesus is saying, here's what we'll do. We will come and reside in you, the triune, the triune God. We'll come and reside in you. But your church, you know that where the Lord resides, it's called the tabernacle. It's a holy place. You read in the scriptures and you know from the, from the Jewish culture that in the tabernacle to the holy of holies, not every man can go in, even when the priest wants to go. What do they do? They tie a robe and let the person go in. In the event, there is an unconfessed sin. He would die. Because that is the holy of holies. So in the event he dies, they can drag the body out. Because we are all sinful people. So if the Lord says, I want to make a tabernacle, I'm going to live with you. In other words, your body, yourself becomes sanctified. This is sanctuary. Wow, it's scary, isn't it? It's really scary. And when to make a, a, a heart a sanctuary for the Lord to reside, there must be something that we ought to do. There can be no sin. There can be no sin. So here in our text, we see what we see is the Lord is saying, we will come and tabernacle in your midst. We will sustain you through the trials and tribulations that you're going to face. But you need to make your heart a sanctuary for us to decide, reside. And the only way you do that is by entering into a closer relationship with me, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Enter into a closer relationship with me. And Jesus is telling how to do that. The key word to have that closer relationship is obedience. Can all of us say the word obedience, please? Can we say it again? Obedience. Obedience is an outward expression of our inward love for the person. It's an outward expression. Obedience is the evidence that we love Jesus Christ, that we have a closer relationship with him. So here Jesus tells them how to do that. Jesus emphasizes that your love will be evidenced in your obedience and how you keep my commandments. You may say, hold it, pastor, but aren't we, in the, aren't we governed by grace? Isn't it? Now, isn't obedience a legalistic thing to do? I'm sure that question would have crossed your mind. If you think that way, you have completely misunderstood God's grace. Look at this passage of scripture. In Titus 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us to do what? The denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We're talking about obedience here. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present time. Do you get it? 
obedience. Just because grace is here, that doesn't mean that you can... I'm not talking about a lady here. I'm talking about the grace of God. Just because grace is here, it doesn't mean that you can be disobedient. You can take grace for granted. God's grace instructs us to live obediently. Obedience does not infer being legalistic. And the key that keeps obedience from being legalistic is to love Jesus Christ. That is why, church, Christianity is not a religion. It is what? A relationship. It is a relationship. It is not a religion. And, we, and Jesus is hammering that home in John chapter 14. We read this through. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Verse 23, he says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 14, 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. So love for Christ motivates us to obey. Church, remember, the biblical love is not a warm, fussy feeling for someone. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, a caring commitment that seeks the highest good of the one loved. So if we love Christ, the highest good we seek for Him is to glorify Him. Now, you might ask, Pastor, I hear that, but what does it really mean to glorify him? What does it really mean? So let's look at the example of Jesus Christ. How did he glorify his father? Look at this passage here. Jesus glorified the father by obeying all that the father commanded him. Look at verse 17, 4. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. How Jesus says this, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I obeyed to the T, and I glorified you. Same way, church, we glorify Christ when we obey him. So it all boils down to obedience. So with that, let's dive, in, dive into today's text, and here's what I see in this passage. I believe that Jesus indicates there are two markers. Those are the indicators that we love him, if we truly love him. Look at verse number 21. I'm only reading the first part of verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who does what? Loves me. It's a loaded statement as you look at it. Let's break it down. The first marker that we see from this passage is that loving God means, firstly, we must have his commandments. Isn't it? He who has my commandments. So naturally, church, we can't obey and keep the commandments when we don't know what they are. We can't do that. So to have Christ's commandments, you need to have the word of God consistently. We must read his word over and over again until it shapes your worldview. Is the word of God that has got to shape your worldview. Let me repeat that, church. We all have worldviews. We have views about everything that happens in our lives. But our worldview must be shaped by the word of God. If not, it will be shaped by the world. 
If your worldview is shaped by the world and its media, you will think that cheating on exams or lying to cover your tracks are normal because that's what everyone else is doing. You will think that that's making a false declaration on your tax return is the right way to make money because that's what everyone else is doing. You will think that it's acceptable to have a sexual relationships outside of marriage as long as you love each other because that's what others are doing. You will think that homosexual relations are okay because that's what the government is saying. But when you begin to read God's word, you discover that much of what you thought was right is actually wrong, and what's wrong is actually right. Look at this, look at this warning, please. For those of us who are stuck in the worldview, Isaiah warns us, woe to you. Everybody, everybody say, woe to you. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Scary, isn't it? Scary, isn't it? Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to you. Scary, church. Frightening statement. When we say some evil is good and good is evil is scary, woe to you. That's the warning that's been given to us. One of the best ways to begin to experience victory over temptation and sin is to memorize God's word. Everybody say the word memorize. Memorize God's word. You know, I was watching a program or a, or a, or a video clip of John Piper. You know, as old as he is, he mentioned on that day that he takes, he, he takes the scripture and he reads it a few times and he, he says he walks up and down in his hallway, repeating that over and over again, still restored in his mind. At that age, he says, I still do it. I, I was ashamed just to hear that. Honestly, I don't do that. I read the scriptures, but you are not intentional in memorizing the scriptures. Psalmist says this, Psalm 119, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You may say, Pastor, how does it work? Tell me how it works. Let me illustrate that to you. Let's say you are ticked off with someone and you are ready to thrash with sharp words. I'm very angry with Keith and I'm going to blast him off today. I can't wait till the service is over. And as I'm about to do that, because I memorize the scripture, this comes to my mind, Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless do what? Pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. See how it can shape. If this comes to mind, what do you do? I will be careful before thrashing my buddy Keith even though I might still do it. <laughs> See how the word of, of God is causing you to obey. 
Because you memorize these words, you're able to speak words to heal rather than to wound. Another illustration I'll give you. Let us say that you are tempted to watch pornography, right? But if you memorize 1 Corinthians 6, 18, where it talks about flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. You don't even need the rest of the passage to, 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 to be in, the, in, the, in, in your hard drive. But the moment you're trying to click the button or you turn on the TV to watch pornography, this passage will come and hit you, isn't it? Flee sexual immorality. Now you say, okay, pastor, I get it. Enough of these illustrations. I am one who who know the scriptures thoroughly. I meditate on the word. I have memorized the scriptures. I have read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation at least two times in my life, and, and I attend all the Bible studies, and I can debate on any topics. So is that all I need? Do I love the Lord enough? Right? And as we read through, the second part of it, the Lord says something else. The second marker, look at the same verse again, verse 21. He who has my commandments, and what? And keeps them. And keeps them. So the first marker of loving God is one has to have the word or know the word. The second marker of loving God is the one who has to keep his commandments. Obedience is not a matter of lip services, but rather doing what he commands, not just outwardly, but from the heart. You know, the Lord has a warning for us who do the lip service. Look at this, Mark chapter 7, verse 6. These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Imagine the day that you are in the presence of the Lord. You are taken away from here and the Lord looks at you and says, you honored me with your lips, but your heart was far from me. Scary, isn't it? Scary. So in other words, you speak the holy word when you see other people. But your heart is far from that. Because God looks into our heart, so obedience begins on the heart or our thought level. Church, we can't pick and choose which commandments we obey based on our individual preferences. We have to obey His word thoroughly. For example, we may take pride in saying that I don't drink, as I even mentioned about myself earlier, but we may look down at those who are drinking and then but then my problem may be grumbling and complaining and gossiping that doesn't make me right or we may be condemning the homosexual sin of others but we may be watching pornography so jesus didn't say that keep my commandment that fit your fit with your preferences he says keep my commandments period james gives us clear warning here for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. It's a tall call, church. It's a tall call. How many of you can say, I keep the whole law and do not stumble at all? You will be lying if you slip your hands up. 
you will be lying. At this point, you may be getting panicky and you may be saying, Pastor, well, if so, I am a failure. Yes or no? Yeah, you feel that way. There is no way I can keep all the laws at all the time. I try to obey the Lord, but I often fail. Does that mean I don't love Christ? And I'm not his true disciple. Now that guilt is brought by the devil. I'll tell you why. Hold that thought for a moment, church. I want you to see how the Lord prayed for his disciples. Look at this first. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. Who are these men? His disciples. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Who, now, then he says, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they did what? Kept your word. You are right. Is it true? You know, you ask, really, they kept God's word? These are the guys who at the Last Supper were arguing about who would be the greatest. These are the guys at the last night, they all deserted Jesus. And this is where we have Peter who would deny him, and we have Thomas who doubted his resurrection. And knowing all this, yet Jesus said, they have kept God's word. Interesting, isn't it? Knowing all this. Church, listen very carefully. Jesus was only looking at the overall direction of their lives, not at perfection. Because none of us can be perfect on this side of heaven. None of us. But the Lord is looking at the overall direction of our lives, meaning God is looking at the progressive sanctification of us. At that time in our lives, we were saved from the wrath of sin. But we are being saved until the day the Lord calls us home. So then you say, Pastor, does that give me an excuse to sin? Absolutely not. Because if you are truly saved, what would happen is that you will, as with time, you will begin to sin less and less and less. So how do you know that you are sinning less and less and less and less? Turn to your spouse and ask. Trust me, they'll tell you. Look at your children and ask. They will tell you for sure. Look at your parents and ask. They will tell you. So, so far we have covered two markers from the Lord. Two instructions. So loving God means... Two things we looked at, you, you, have, you must have the word and you must keep the word. And we know it's a tall call, so our Lord knows our limitations to obey his commands. So in the rest of the verses, the Lord is now encouraging the disciples by saying them one key factor that will motivate them and to help them to obey God's commandment. My prayer is this church, that this factor will help every one of us in our daily lives, helping us to loving God more and more. So let's read the first 21 again, the latter part of it. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. That's easy to grasp. Then the Lord says something different. 
and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What on earth is that? So what Jesus is saying here and, and what does it really mean? And when Jesus says, when I love him, I'll be loved by God himself and that he would manifest himself to me. Well, this caused a big confusion even in the minds of the disciples. Let's read on, verse 22. And as we read verse 22, we see a question posed by a disciple whose name is also Judas. It's not Judas Iscariot. He is the son of James. If you look at Luke chapter 6, verse 16, you will see that. So Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Because Judas didn't get it. How are you going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus is responding back in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. It's pretty much what he said earlier in verse 21 as well. So in verse 23, Jesus promises that if you love him and keep his word, both he and the Father will come and make their home with us. Aren't you? You must be jumping with joy for that. Imagine that. Jesus is referring to God the Father, God the Son, making their home with those who love him. This is the only verse in the New Testament that says the Father indwells us. Earlier we looked at in verse 16, last week we looked at the Lord said, the Lord, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. It means that God, the Holy Spirit, would abide with the disciples forever. So all three members of the Trinity take up residence in our hearts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when we love him and we obey him. Amen. It's wonderful. Very assuring. Very assuring. It's the same term, this term home or, or abide with you. It's the same term that he used when he said at the very beginning, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. Same Greek word. So what we learn now is that when we love God the way that he has commanded us to do by having his word and keeping his word, the triune God himself will come and live within us. Imagine that for a moment, church. The question is, is your heart a suitable home for God? Is it? If we would only remember what wonderful truth that is, it would keep us from sin. How can you sin when you realize God himself is living in your heart as his home? Picture this, church. God is like a, like a Siamese twins. He's attached to you. Wherever you go, you can see what you see, God can see. What you do, he, he, he can observe. What your thoughts, he knows. So when the Lord tabernacles, it is the sanctuary, no sin is tolerated. So if you truly understand this, you'll be very sensitive to sin. I'm not saying you won't sin. You'll be very sensitive to sin. Let me, let me illustrate this for you so you get the picture clearly. 
how an awareness of God's presence will cause you to walk more carefully in this evil world. Let's say I give you 25 cents. And I ask you, okay, with this 25 cents, I want you to go and give it to somebody who is living about three doors from here. Not a big deal, isn't it? Slip it in your pocket. You'll be walking all the way. You may be singing, dancing. I don't know what you might do. But you might go and give that 25 cents. Not a big deal. But let's say I'm giving you $100,000 cash. And I ask you the same thing. Can you go and drop it off in the third home? Will you be jumping and dancing and going with $100,000? No, you won't. You will never do that. Because of the value of what you're carrying. If we treasure God's presence, we'll be careful to walk in obedience. If we truly understand that the triune God is with us, we'll be walking in obedience. When we sin and we will, it does not mean that we are losing him. But it's just that he's, he's grieving. So what do we learn from this church? If you realize that the triune God is residing in you, you will obey his commands. So in other words, realizing that the Lord's indwelling presence will help you keep his commands. Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Not only that, church, we know that the Holy Spirit is present in our lives, isn't it? So not only realizing that the triune God is with us is going to help us, but relying on the Holy Spirit, who is supposed to be the comforter in us, is going to help us to be living a life of obedience. You may ask, how does the Holy Spirit help us keep the commandments? As we read through the scriptures, we see how the presence of the Holy Spirit will help us live a life of obedience. Here are six, six things I'll go very quickly to show you. First one, he constantly reminds us all about what Jesus has taught us. The Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is residing in you, he will keep reminding you everything that the Lord Jesus has taught. Look at this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So next time you're going to steal, I'm going to steal from Keith, I immediately remember what the Lord said. Understand? Are you with me? Who is prompting you? It is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he will convict you of your sins. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Every time you are doing something wrong, church, if you are a true believer, tell me, hasn't the Holy Spirit told you at some point, don't do it and yet to do it? Yes? Are you guilty of that? Put your hands up. It looks like only myself. Many times the Spirit said, don't do this, but you still want to do it. But that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number three, not only that, He guides us in the truth. Here, look at this. However, the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you what is right and what's wrong in your life. He guides you. Number four, He will comfort us. 
because you are living in a troubled world. You, you are more prone to sin when you are tempted, isn't it? When you, are, when you are in dismay and when you are going through, when you are in distress. But the Holy Spirit will comfort you. And He gives you that inner joy. You know, we read that, I, I have I not put that on the screen yet, but the effect of the Holy Spirit in the early church, look at this, I'm reading from Acts 9.31. Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria at peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you. And not only that, number five, fifthly, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you. There are times that I cannot pray. How many of you have had that experience in your life? Yes. Yes. There are times I cannot pray. God, I, the situation is too overwhelming for me. I don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit will intercede for you. Number six, it leads us to bringing glory to God. Because if you obey, I told you, ultimately you bring glory to Jesus. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. This he referring to the Holy Spirit. So we looked at six things here, church. He reminds us of Jesus' teaching. He convicts us of our sins. He guides us to truth. He comforts us. He intercedes for us. And he brings glory to Jesus. So as I wrap this message... We are called to love God. Loving God means that you have His Word. You have His Word. Loving God means not only just having His Word, but you keep His Word. You obey. You got to obey. And that to aid that, what we know is that because we do that, the triune God is within us. So I want you, when you leave this sanctuary, if you are a believer, I want you to bring it clearly in your mind that the triune God is with you. Wherever you go. Realizing that the triune God is in you, you will be very careful to sin. And at times of need, we know that we can rely on the Holy Spirit, who is more than able to remind us of what Jesus has taught us, to convict us of our sins, to guide us to the truth, to comfort us, to intercede for us, and ultimately to bring glory to Him. So if you want, church, to grow, to know Christ more intimately, figure out where you are not obeying Him. Begin to obey him. I know that each one of us, I've said that before, we have some dirty closets in our hearts. And I pray that we'll allow him to clean it out today. We'll allow him to clean it out today. We need to prioritize our list and begin with one or two changes before we tackle everything. Compartmentalize your habit that are not bringing glory to God and attack one at a time, one at a time. It sounds simplicity, 
But Jesus promises that we'll grow to know him more intimately by obeying him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come now. There's a beautiful song we are going to sing, and we know this song very well, but I want you to see the first verse, first answer. Can you bring up the first answer, please? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still. And with whom? With all who will trust and obey. Can we all rise and let's, let's sing this beautiful hymn. And as we sing this, may it be a commitment today from you. God, help me to trust and obey. Trust your promises and to obey.